And so the time has come to submerge into the research, the study of our inheritance and perishable inheritance in Jesus Christ. The epigraph of our study of the Word of God is the book of Luke 24:44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and Psalms. And so for us, as the partakers of the body of Christ, to share with Christ the fulfillment of all that is written about Him in Scripture, we will continue our study of our collaboration with the truth of the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit who reveals the truth, what we need to do from our side to receive the right to the power to put off our former way of life so we can put on the new way of life. Ephesians 4.22-24 You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which brings corrupted, which is being corrupted by its deceitful lusts, to be made new by the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created by God in true righteousness and holiness. So I shall remind us that this place of scripture is the calling of every person that is born from the seed of the word of truth. And if a person that comes to God does not understand his calling and will see it in something different in either good work, practicing of spiritual gifts, evangelism, materialistic prosperity, or materialistic well-being, whatever it may be, but he won't understand that his calling is to put off of himself the old man with his deeds, then renew his mind by the spirit of his mind And then, by the means of a renewed mind, then begin the process of clothing himself into the new person. In this commanding order, we see the destiny affecting uh, fundamental acts that God has given. And so, if we do not follow this and do not fulfill these commandments, it will turn us into the haters of Christ that came out from us but were not of us. To fulfill this given commandment, we need to fulfill these commanding and fundamental acts to put off, be renewed, and put on. We've noted that it is specifically our decision regarding these three destiny-affecting acts to put off, be renewed, and put on that will determine whether we transform ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath. Or more specifically, will the achieving of our salvation happen that is given to us in the format of a guarantee in the seed of the word of truth that we are called to grow into fruit or to turn the silver of salvation so that we can profit it, we can receive it as our own. If this will not happen, then we will lose then this guarantee of our salvation and our names will be then forever blotted out of the book of life. In a particular format, as much as we have uh, studied, we studied the first two and have been studying the third demand. What conditions do we need to fulfill so that by the power of our already renewed mind, we can begin the process of clothing ourselves into the power of our new person that is created according to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. We have been studying a lot of parables, Examples that we're studying 
and we stopped to study the condition contained in the 18th Psalm of David, where the Holy Spirit, with the wisdom and authority that He alone has, reveals the demands according to which we are called to collaborate our faith prayer with the name of God El El Yon, or God Most High, so that we can be delivered from our our enemies living in our body. This psalm consists of the fact that David called upon God to deliver the enemies that are in his body, because from all of his other enemies, he was already delivered. And this condition consists of this, that in the circumstances of our hardship, when we are putting off the old man with his deeds, we can call upon the Most High as to our God and confess the faith of our heart, saying, who God is for us in Christ Jesus, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus who we are to God in Christ Jesus, and what conditions do we need to fulfill to inherit all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus and by Christ Jesus. Specifically, this understanding, the understanding of what He's done, who we are, if we won't understand that and confess that with our mouth, when we confess, then the Holy Spirit takes our confessions and clothes us into those confessions. We won't see it immediately how our bodies are clothed, but we will start noticing this by the change of our own character. And then when the day comes that God has uh, decided for Himself, and it will physically happen that our mortal bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies. And this will happen in one day. We have noted that the given allegory is one of the most powerful and all-capturing examples demonstrating the collaboration of our renewed mind, this is King David and God Most High, and their violent conflict with the carnal mind, that is King Saul and governing sin as the old person with his deeds. I just note this. It's... Don't you think there's too many kings in one kingdom? And they're all legitimate. Each one is a legitimate king, and each one wants control of the body. Our body is their kingdom. They rule within the boundaries of our body. And each one is wanting uh, full control, and the field of battle is our heart. And so, by the means of the confession of the faith of our heart, proclaiming who God is to us in Jesus Christ and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and who we are to God in Jesus Christ, God can receive the proper foundation He needs to join the battle for our earthly body so He can shame the governing within our body sin, which is the old person by the power of His redemption, and with noise forever thrust Him out into hell with noise. In its character, the prayer psalm of David contains three parts, where we see demonstrated an example of the character of legitimate prayer that belongs to kings, priests, and prophets. Kings that rule over their body, priests that are priests within their bodies, and prophets that receive revelations within their heart because of the Urim and Thummim by the preached word that they hear. The first part identifies the state of a warrior in prayer, the state of the heart of a warrior in prayer, which is the required basis for the legitimate status of his prayer belonging to kings, priests, and prophets. The kind of state of the heart you will have is the kind of prayer you will have. Second part opens up the consistency of legitimate prayer itself, which belongs to kings, priests, and prophets, which gives God the proper basis to deliver David from the hands of all of his enemies. 
and us also from the hand of our enemies. The consistency of legitimate prayer are prayer words that we are to take from Scripture. Take prayer words in Scripture. As soon as the church learns to change this, to change their prayers to the right prayers, to stop building their own prayers and take words of prayer that are in Scripture, because prayer are words that come out of the mouth of God that are written in the prophets, in the laws, in the Psalms, and in the New Testament. There is what God says is written there, and we need to take those words God says and say these words, express His will. Because when we don't express His will with our own mouth, his, express His words with our mouth, then God won't be able to do anything. We are sovereign, and for God, it's necessary to say it. Yes, God knows we have need, but He won't do anything until we take the legitimate words of prayer and begin to pray those words. The third part illustrates the prayer battle itself in an epic way, which is beyond the limitation of the typical human mind, the mind of man. Although God will take our legitimate words and begins to clothe us into them and will begin to destroy our enemies, we will participate in this. Our confessions always need to take part in the, and collaborate with the words of God. We stop to look at the second part, which opens up the consistency of legitimate prayer and the eight names of God Most High, getting to know and confessing the power that is contained in the heart of David in the eight names of God allowed David to love and call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised so he can be saved from his enemies, and God getting to know and confessing the truth that opens up the power of his names within the heart of David provided God with the right foundation to use the power contained in the capabilities of his names in battle against the enemies of David. Psalm 18, 1-4 I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I have been saved from my enemies. Psalm 18, 1-4. Eight names of God that are listed here, and we are called in prayer to say them to God, who God is for us. Lord, you are my strength. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my fortress. Lord, you are my deliverer. Lord, you are my rock in whom I take refuge. Lord, you are my shield. Lord, you are the horn of my salvation. And Lord, you are my stronghold. We already studied our inherited lot in Christ Jesus and the power of four names of God. These are strength, rock, fortress, and deliverer, and have been studying our inherited lot in the name of God, Rock of Israel. The given nature of prayer where David confesses his inherited lot in the eight names of God Most High identified the inheritance that is contained in the covenant that is made between God and man because the number eight is the number of the covenant and it is on the eighth day God commanded uh, that the the infant be circumcised and so it would be on the body and so the number eight be became the number of the covenant. 
Because of its significance, the given nature of prayer is a strategic teaching which is purposed to be the calling of every warrior in prayer, ones that have the virtue of kings, priests, and prophets who are anointed to rule over their earthly body. If a person has not accepted the given to him anointing to govern over his calling, which is his mortal body, in the status of a king, a priest, and a prophet, so that he can change it into the virtue of a heavenly body, then this revelation that is purposed for worshipping God in prayer will not benefit him. Therefore, the quality and lexicon identifying the name of God living rock, as with the previous names of God Most High, is not able to be found in any existing dictionary of the world. Living rock is living edge of a cliff, living stone or stone defense, living covering or shadow of a cliff, living rock bearing victory over the enemy, elephant tusk, elephant ivory. It's talking about the strength of our faith out of which we are called to build a throne for the Holy Spirit in the temple of our body. Living rock representing eternal government, living rock containing the promise of imperishable food, and living rock serving as comfort of peace. In the name of God, Rock of Israel, we are called to receive the victorious ability to keep and increase our profits that we have received from the invested silver of salvation that we have invested so that we can profit. This profit consists of the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ and is a component of the promise of imperishable food. Considering such a necessary tandem or such a union of God with man, it becomes vital for us to identify within each aspect of our essence the role of God and the role of man. First, what characteristics and categories identify our inherited lot in the name of God, Rock of Israel? Second, what purpose as it relates to achieving our salvation is our inherited lot called to fulfill in the name of God, Rock of Israel? What price needs to be paid to provide God a proper foundation to be our Rock of Israel? And by what results do we determine that God is truly our Rock as it relates to achieving our calling? Which is the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ which is the guarantee of our rapture. A person who has received the promise of the adoption of his body by the redemption of Christ already has in himself testimony that he will be raptured before the morning star. We have already studied the essence of the first two questions and stopped to study question three which is linked to the condition that when fulfilled gives the Holy Spirit the right foundation to lead us into the inherited lot that is contained in the name of God, Rock of Israel. We already studied the first seven of those components of the price, providing God with that right to be our rock, and have now been studying the eighth component of the price, and it consists in our decision and our ability to hide from the Philistines in the cleft of the rock Edom, as Samson did. And it was in the similar area that David also hid. Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. So he he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the left in the cleft of the rock Edom. Judges fifteen seven eight. In Hebrew, cleft of the rock Edom means durable and long lasting. According to the given place of scripture, the cleft of the rock Edom that we have been studying within the temple of our body is the power of the name of God, Rock of Israel, where we can hide from the uncircumcised Philistines 
which are our unclean thoughts and corrupt desires rising against our relationship with God and destroying our relationship with God and the power in which we can clothe ourselves as these two new ropes <clears throat> so that we can demonstrate them in the confessions of the faith of our heart, the fresh jawbone of the donkey that in victory over the uncircumcised Philistines that live within our body in the format of unclean thoughts and desires is the all-armor of God. In a specific format, we together have already studied the symbol of the two new ropes with, with which the men of Judah tied Samson using the advice of Samson himself so that they can deliver him into the hands of the Philistines, symbolizing the two immutable forms of truth that lead us behind the veil in the temple where the forerunner has entered for us, Jesus having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. This is the symbol of these two new ropes, and in this way deprive us of the ability to trust upon the strength of our mind, symbolizing the 3,000 men of Judah that came to bind us, to arrest us, which will give us proper grounds to trust upon God and upon His Word. He allowed Himself to be tied with these two new ropes, the truth about the blood, truth about the cross, <clears throat> so He no longer trusts in, upon His own mind and trusts upon God and upon His Word. <clears throat> and so the two new forms of truth that bring us behind the veil of the temple is the truth about the blood of Christ and the truth about the cross of Christ as the twelve unleavened breads upon the golden table of showbreads. These two new forms of truth actually tied up our trust upon our reasonable abilities that are not circumcised. This is King Saul. So that they can provide us with proper grounds, these two new forms of truth, and the opportunity to give us the proper grounds and opportunity to obtain a fresh jawbone of a donkey so we can confront and be victorious over the Philistines. As it is written, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the spirits of the Lord, spirit of the Lord came uh, upon him mightily, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand, and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. And then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. So it was then that he finished, when he sp finished speaking, that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramoth Lehi. Judges 15, 14 through 17. <clears throat> in scripture the symbol of the donkey that no one has ever ridden upon which is our body that is, that is redeemed by the blood of the cross of Christ is a symbol of the covenant of, of peace that is made between ourselves and God the symbol of the fresh jawbone of a donkey that Samson used to kill within his body 1000 Philistines representing the uncircumcised thoughts and, and desires of the flesh is the quality of our gentle tongue one of the members of our body that is presented to God as a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to God for good service counting yourself dead to sin in the death of the Lord Jesus and living to God in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus when we count ourselves living uh, and proclaim the not-existent stronghold of life within our body as existent our mouth becomes the all-armor of God as the fresh jawbone of a donkey because we with death have conquered death with the death of Christ we conquer death that lives within us which is the old man with his deeds. When Samson killed a thousand men, 
with the fresh jawbone of a donkey, he with the confessions of his, of his mouth confirmed victory over the Philistines. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps up with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramath Lehi. Ramath Lehi is translated as the heights of the jawbone the heights of the throne of our mouth. This is the most powerful throne, the rod of our mouth, God and us. When our mouth becomes gentle, it becomes the throne of the Most High, the heights of the jawbone. With these words, Samson indicated the significance of the heights of confession that possesses legitimacy when the members of our body are given as slaves of righteousness by the way of presenting our body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, for our good service. When Samson threw the fresh jawbone of the donkey that he just used to kill a thousand men and in doing so confirmed his right to be a warrior in prayer, after which he felt a strong and fatal thirst. The reason for the fatal thirst of Samson was the fresh jawbone of a donkey that he threw on the ground. The item he fought with so his body can be adopted by the redemption of Christ in his resurrection, throwing it to the ground symbolizes the death of the Lord Jesus in his mortal body, because this jawbone was from a donkey that was dead. If the strong thirst that testifies of the absence of the resurrection of Christ within our body will not be satisfied, then the battle with the Philistines for the right to possess our body will be lost. This can be clearly seen from the following words of Samson. Even though we've we've won, we took the death of the Lord and overcame death with it, but if resurrection won't come in our body, then this battle will be lost. This, as I said, can clearly be seen here in the words of Samson. You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. We conclude that the ultimate goal of our new person in our battle with the Philistines for our body is the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ in Christ's resurrection. Just as in his time, when Samson tore apart the young roaring lion that was coming against him, as he would a young goat, and in result of this victory over the roaring lion that represents the power of death within our body, the old person we see demonstrated the resurrection of Christ in the hive of bees that produces honey in the carcass of the lion. Just the same when the fresh jawbone of the donkey was thrown to the ground, the water of life flowed representing the stronghold of life within our body in the place of the stronghold of death. So God lit, uh, split the hallow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore he called its name En Hakor, which is in Lehi to this day, Judges 15:19. The phrase he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived, speaks of when the new person quenches his thirst with the water of life, then this means that he by faith received the promise of resurrection for his mortal body. And then God gave him the ability to return to his body and clothe his body into the resurrection of Christ. We've noted that the word lehi means to walk past, to hop over, keep alive, which corresponds to the meaning of the word pesach, when the angel of death that was sent from God to strike all the firstborn in Egypt, both man and beast, 
he passed by the houses of the Israelites who had the blood of the lamb Pesach upon the doorposts of their houses, he left their firstborn alive. Therefore, the fresh jawbone of a donkey that Samson, as the new person, fought for his right to the power over his body, indicated the significance of confession with his mouth, the faith of heart of the heart, just in justification by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Matthew 12, 36, 37. In the given situation, our Samson, as our new person, spoke with his mouth the faith of God that abides within his heart, with which he justified himself before God, which provided God with the legitimate foundation to demonstrate the victory of life upon the place that previously contained the victory of death. And the most important thing that we need to pay attention to is that the state of of great thirst gave God the proper foundation to open up the hallow place in Lehi upon the place of the throne jawbone of a donkey and water poured out. On that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John 7:37-38. Strong thirst is always linked to temporary suffering. That does not compare, however, to the glory that will be opened within our mortal body, forever eliminating any memory about death. We need to note that it's referring to such a nature of thirst that is not able to be felt with our natural senses or in the new person even who has not yet been grown into the full measure of growth in Christ. Not just in the aspect of our senses, but also in our new person that has not been grown into full measure of growth. He will not be able to experience that thirst. This nature of thirst can only be found in a heart that has received the ability to be led by the Holy Spirit. And until this time, we're not able to experience this kind of thirst. Thirst is a longing desire of our new person that has grown into the full measure of growth in Christ, which demonstrates itself in suffering and yearning because of the absence of the water of life, which is represented by the Holy Spirit that is called to breathe the breath of life into the truth that is concealed within our heart. Such a thirst is always demonstrated until the Lord and Master comes into our heart, all the truth that we receive, it will remain the same as the body was when that was created from the dust of the earth. It would continue to remain that way, but only after God breathed into the face the breath of life, then a man became a living soul. When the Holy Spirit enters as the Lord and Master, and this person is prepared for him, the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh will be brought into the good soil of the heart, then he will come in and breathe life into that teaching. Such a thirst is always demonstrated in the ardent desire to know God in His perfect will that belongs to our calling, which consists in adopting our body by the redemption of Christ. Before we turn to study the symbols contained in the next event that we need to learn in the actions of Samson, demonstrating the goal and divine intent within our mortal body in which the uncircumcised Philistines live, we will remember that all of the events that happened with Samson were inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
And so the scriptures don't condemn him for the actions, but actually present him as a, a man, a hero of faith. Therefore, now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the Gazites were told Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. Strange, right? They wait all night and he's sleeping you can go in and take him but no they're waiting for him to wake up until morning and then they're signing to kill him and samson lay low till midnight then he arose at midnight took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gate posts pulled them up bar and all put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces hebron interesting that the word now samson went that is within the verse, now Samson went to Gaza, indicates a revelation of a specific time given to Samson by the Spirit of the Lord. And so the Lord indicated when he needs to do this and what to do. Gaza, where Samson went, is one of the five main and largest Philistine cities in the land of Ephraim, the son of Joseph. You know that the five cities are our five senses in the land of Israel. Per the law of the ancient world, the owners or landlords of hotels or inns in the cities of the ancient world where the citizens can stay the night that have come or moved from one city to another were mainly harlots. They were owners and the landlords. The price list for a room and a bed contained the options of intimate relations with the owner of the inn. During the archaeological dig of Jericho, they, they discovered similar clay tablets with similar in nature price lists for staying in the hotel or inn. As a matter of fact, it is this kind of inn, the owner of which was Rahab the harlot that the two spies of Israel came to that were sent by Joshua before the, the destruction of Jericho. Therefore, to stay the night in such an inn did not automatically mean that they would sleep with the owner of the inn or hotel. The two spies weren't with her intimately. They were just there staying uh, the night. The profession of the harlot in that time that did not belong to the priests at the idol houses of Baal and Astarte consisted in offering visitors or strangers coming in a place to stay. Unlike the filthiness and debauchery of the priests that exposed their faces and bodies, the owners or keepers of the inns put on themselves the covering of a harlot. And so this spoke of the fact that she is a keeper of an inn. And so upon her there was a covering of a harlot and they couldn't see her face and so you couldn't tell who she was. And so they co- again, they covered themselves. They covered their faces and bodies as it is they sat at the gates of the city or well where, pe- where people of the city would come to draw water. And when a traveler was in need of a place to stay for the night and saw such a harlot, he was able to agree on a price with her to stay at the inn. It is this type of covering of a harlot that Tamar had put on, the daughter-in-law of Judah, the son of Jacob, so that he, uh, he can restore the seed of her dead husband. 
When Samson came into the harlot so that he can stay the night in Gaza, the Philistines were walking and keeping watch for Samson at the gates of Gaza, which speaks of the fact that the house of this harlot, just as the house of Rahab the harlot, was in the wall of the city, not far from the gates of the city. We need to ask the question, what goal or purpose in delivering Israel from the control of the Philistines do the gates of Gaza have, and why did the Holy Spirit bring Samson to the house of this harlot that lives in Gaza? <clears throat> Say if the plan of the Holy Spirit only included Samson ripping out the gates of Gaza and bringing them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron, he could have calmly and easily completed this work through Samson without involving the harlot that lived close to the gates of Gaza. So why then was it necessary to send Samson to the house of the harlot that lived close to the gates of Gaza? And why were the Gazites laying in wait for Samson all night, waiting for the morning since it would have been a lot simpler to kill him while he slept in the house of the harlot. Also, why was it important for the Holy Spirit that Samson take the gates of Gaza to the to the top of the hill facing Hebron in the middle of the night and not earlier or later? I brought forth an an analogy, the event that took place with the harlot Rahab that lived within the wall of Jericho for the purpose to better understand the studied biased behavior of Samson. As these two events, although there is a large gap in timing, have a lot of commonalities. Relevant to this, I will remind us, as Joshua had a clear revelation and an exhaustive strategy for taking over Jericho, and he did not have a need to send the two spies into Jericho so that they can learn of their strategy, the strategy of uh, of the enemy or their weaknesses defending their city from the Israelites. Because according to the revelation of God, the wall of the city needed to fall in a supernatural form or way. And the goal of the two spies represent the truth in our heart and the Holy Spirit who reveals the truth in our heart. Their goal was to save the harlot Rahab that lives in the wall of the city and the house of her father. First, the symbol of the harlot Rahab is a symbol of our soul that we are needing to save. Second, the symbol of the harlot Rahab is a symbol of the Church of Christ from the Gentile nations that needs to make up one nation with the son of sons of Israel. Rahab the harlot by faith received the two spies and was saved with the house of her father from being destroyed and was taken as wife by Salmon, a prince from the tribe of Judah and she became part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse. And so again, Salmon the prince begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Interesting, both women here are not, uh, they were Gentile women. Rahab and Ruth, and they both go uh, are included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. God had the intention that Abraham would the, be the father of many nations and that the church would not just be the Israelite nation, but also the Gentile nation, because in his genealogy, these Gentiles are, are there, they're present. And we see that Obed begot Jesse, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah, and all the way to Joseph, the husband of Mary, from 
whom was born Christ. Matthew 1, uh, 5 and 6. As we are more focused right now on what needs to happen within our body rather than what needs to happen out of our body so we can provide God with the legitimate grounds to adopt our body by the redemption of Christ, it is necessary for us to clarify who is the harlot within our body who lives near the gates of Gaza. You remember that the first wife, uh, the Philistine, she was a symbol of the feelings, the aspect of our feelings that needs to be saved. And what does this harlot, this woman carry? She wasn't a wife, but what symbol does she carry here? Because the Israelite land and in part the territory located in the tribe of Ephraim, the son of Joseph upon which the Philistines live, is a symbol of our body that is called to be the house of the Lord. The Philistines that live within our earthly bodies symbolize unclean thoughts and corrupt passions that rule over our earthly body and control our our earthly body, being supported by the power of the old person. The harlot within our body that lives close to the gates of Gaza, where Samson, as our new person, came to stay the night, is our soul, its reasonable and emotional abilities. Emotional, why? Because she's already safe, but the reasonable abilities also need to be saved. That is our soul. The reason why the soul of every safe person until a specific time is a harlot is because although she communicates with Christ by the means of her sacred person, her All of us, when we repented, we were born from the seed of the word of truth, we began to communicate with the Lord. But you know that our communication was not legitimate. It is a sinful act in the form of harlotry in a way that, because of our sacred person, Our soul, his legitimate husband, is the old man with his deeds, reigning sin, and he reigns, and we are communicating with Christ, then our communication becomes a sinful act because, and so in this case, our soul is as a harlot in this case, and once we free her from these Philistines, she will stop being called a harlot. We need to change her, convert her. We know well that the symbol of the gate is the mouth or the tongue and so the harlot that lives at at the gate of Gaza is also symbolizing the mouth here because the gates that are linked to this harlot our gate is our mouth and so for our soul to be able to make a covenant of peace with God at midnight Samson as our new person took the doors of the uh, uh, the doors of the gates of the city put upon his them upon his shoulders and took a, upon the mountain Hebron is a place of union this city was within the land of Judah and was one of the six uh, refuge cities here Within the boundaries of Hebron, upon one of the hills, the covenant of peace was made between God and Abraham and Abraham with God. It is specifically here to make a covenant of peace with God. Samson brought upon his shoulders the gates of Gaza that represent our tongue so that we can save our soul that is in the state of a harlot. 
And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 9, 10. The reason for why the Philistines, as are unclean thoughts and corrupt desires that are supported by the power of our old person, were not able to come near to Samson, who was sleeping in the house of the harlot, but were laying in wait for the morning to come so they can kill him, consists of two parts. First, the symbol of the night in the house of the harlot represented a specific nature of sanctification that is in accordance with the demands of the wilderness, where the sacred person was submerged into fellowship with God, receiving a a special nature of revelation about leaving the, uh, this world. Therefore, he was in absolute safety where with all the desire they have, no pestilent or harmful thoughts or desires could, be to, could come in. That's why they were waiting for the morning. God who desires to dwell in darkness of the unapproachable light, which symbolizes the night, representing the glory of his unchanging holiness, separating him from all of the made-by-him creation, he is able to reveal himself only in the similar-to-him night that is within the heart of a man and is in accordance to the demands of his holiness, where no harmful or pestilent thought or harmful, a pestilent or harmful thought can come in. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. Psalm 19.2. We're talking about a godly uh, day and godly night. Second reason, the Philistines were laying in wait until the morning and watched the gate of the city of Gaza so they can kill Samson, consisted in this, that they thought that at sunrise they would discover a flaw in Samson's sanctification, which will give him the opportunity or give them the opportunity to end proper grounds upon which they can kill him with his own personal mouth. They were waiting for the daytime. The day uh, time reveals anything that's hidden. And during the sanctification, he, they were uh, trusting that maybe something will go wrong or they'll see something else. So the governors and satraps taught, sought to find charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not find any charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. We need to put him into such a position so that he sin against his own law. Then will we be able to catch him. And that's when they thought out a plan on how to do that, as we know. They convinced the king that in these days, the king, we decided that everybody worship only you and anybody who worships any other god and not you uh, will be thrown into the uh, furnace of the fire into a furnace and so Daniel continued to open up his windows he built his house in a way that his windows would open toward the direction of Jerusalem and that's how he prayed always in the direction of Jerusalem and he opened his windows every time and he knew this was uh, dangerous and they saw that he was praying so they went to the king and said uh, king live forever we saw someone who's not following your uh, edict your, your command and so they found a fault against God's law. He needed to sin, but he did not sin. And so when he was thrown into the into the den, as we know, the lion's den, then when the king came to it and the lions were hungry, 
he with a very saddened voice asked, Daniel, the servant of the living God, was God able to save you? And he responded with a with a cheerful voice, yes, may your, may your soul live. I did nothing against you or God, and God saved me. And so God then immediately called that, told him, commanded that he be uh, pulled out, and those set traps uh, then were thrown in with the wives and the kids, the children, they were all thrown into that den. If you can imagine, Daniel was a, a skinny elderly man that always uh, fasted. These satraps were very well fed, ate the most best of foods, their wives. If you can imagine, for hungry lions, this was a royal uh, banquet. Uh, God rewarded them so th- because uh, they listened and didn't kill Daniel. The reason why Samson, as our sacred person, slept until midnight and after that rose and took the gates of Gaza upon his shoulders to the top of the hill that faces on the way that faces and is on the way to Hebron is because he was awakened by a cry that came from the revelation of his Urim that abides in the entrails of the heart within the boundaries of the Thummim. Why did he do it at midnight? The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to the ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five of them foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard because the the sanctification process started here. At midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to those wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should be not enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Matthew 25, 1-13 Samson, similar to the given parable, representing our sacred person with the joyously burning lamp, is included in the category of the wise virgin because he took control of his tongue and began to proclaim faith that abides within his heart. He took control of his over of his mouth. These are these gates of Gaza. It is the faith of God that abides within our heart, that is the vessel that is filled with oil, that within the critical hours of the night will allow our lamp to not die in the midst of the darkness. The darkness being the wandering religious Bacchanalia called modern Philistines that filled the churches of Christ with services to God and worship to God. The authority of Samson is symbolically seen in his shoulders upon which he placed the gates of Gaza with the two gate posts and he lifted them up with the bar and carried them to the top of the hill facing Hebron. The top of the hill facing Hebron is a symbol of the promise that is contained in the covenant of peace called by God 
called by God to save our soul so that by the means of our soul to adopt our body by the redemption of Christ. The gateposts of the, of the gates are bolted posts of a very strong form of wood that is then coated with bronze or metal that would secure the doors in place from the inside. Therefore, to open such gates was only possible from the inside. The symbol of the bolted uh, posts of Gaza in the door uh, in the doors of our mouth is our sovereignty, which is our will or our ability to make decisions and make these decisions happen or make them a reality. The lintel of the gates symbolizes our soul and two doorposts of the gate is our body and our spirit. There where the lintel, which is our soul, comes in contact with the doorposts representing our body, our soul is mortal. However, there where our soul comes in contact with the doorposts representing our spirit, our soul is immortal. Therefore, Samson, in the gates of Gaza, carried upon his shoulders his soul and his body to the top of the hill that faces Hebron, where Abraham made a covenant with God so that he can clothe them into the bond of this covenant. The shoulders of Samson, that is the, the shoulders of our sacred person as a warrior in prayer, carrying the gates of Gaza, represent the governing of our mouth that confesses the faith of the heart. For unto it us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isaiah 9, 6, 7. Governing upon the shoulders of our sacred person as a warrior in prayer is symbolically shown in the two stones of onyx that were placed upon the shoulders of our sacred person with the engraved of engraving of six names of the sons of Israel upon each of them. Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and six uh, names on the other stone, in order of their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engraving of a signet, you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel, you shall set them in settings of gold, and you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as a memorial stone for the sons of Israel. So it Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. Exodus 29-12 The six names of Israel that were carved upon the onyx stones upon each of the two shoulders of a warrior in prayer that are placed parallel one to the other represent the ratified or established by us law of God upon the mountain of Ebal and Gerizim because of which God received the proper grounds he needed to bless the warriors in prayer and curse his enemies so that they cannot stand. These six names of Israel that are carved upon the onyx stone and placed parallel one to the other upon each of the shoulders of a warrior in prayer is called to provide God the right foundation to lead the sons of Israel into the land where milk and honey flow which symbolically indicates the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ. Now Moses with the elders of Israel commanded the people saying, keep all the commandments which I command you today. And it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. You shall write on them all the words of the law when you have crossed over that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers has promised. Therefore it, is, it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that 
On Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones, which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God, and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings, and shall eat there, and rejoice before the Lord. Then Moses and the priests... And the Levites spoke to Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God, and observe His commandments and His statutes, which I command you today. And Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you have crossed over the Jordan, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. The stones that needed to be whitewashed with lime and carve upon them the Ten Commandments are the same twelve stones that were taken from the midst of the Jordan River where the feet of the priests stood who carried upon their shoulders the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth when the nation of Israel was crossing the Jordan. And the other twelve stones taken from the beach of the Jordan were put in the place of the other in the middle of the Jordan. They are they until this day. Joshua 4, 1 through 9. You could, we can read this. And so if the first represented feelings or emotions, the first woman, this one represents our mouth that is linked to our mind. The next event that took place in the life of Samson, right after he had taken the gates of the city of Gaza to the top of the hill that faces Hebron, that does not give way or does not succumb our imagination, because in this event Samson's eyes are removed, but at the end of this event he proclaimed, let me die with the Philistines. As much as I remember myself, even my earliest childhood, it is this event that is preached and sung in so-called Christian songs as a lesson and as a warning to not follow the example of Samson so that like him you do not become spiritually blind when as we will see further Samson actually began to see spiritually once his eyes were removed. He spiritually began to see and we will see that. It is opposite, as we can see. By studying this event in detail, you can conclude that Samson was led by the Holy Spirit, and that in all of the actions of Samson that may not be understood by our mind, it was the Holy Spirit that was working. Consequently, all the actions of Samson were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Apostle Paul, while listing the heroes of faith, also noted the name of Samson, and he says that he does not have the time to speak of them in detail, all of them in detail, but does not state that they are an example of what we should not do. And what more shall I say, for the time should fail me to tell, of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourging, yes, and of chains and and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with, with the sword. They wandered 
about in sheepskin and goat and goats skin being destute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Hebrews 11:32 through 40. The fullest pleiad of the heroes of faith, including Samson, did not receive what was promised, because God foresaw something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. It is not referring to the format of the uh, symbol of perfection to be in the likeness of the perfection of the Heavenly Father, in whom was the entire pleiad of heroes of faith, but about a perfection that relates to our entering our inherited lot, consisted of the unsearchable inheritance of Christ that they are able to receive only together with us. And the essence of the given perfection consisting of the unsearchable inheritance of Christ that they are not able to receive without us consists of the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ. So first we will just read this not amenable to our understanding event to which a lot of places in scripture have been given that by itself, a lot of places in scripture has been given to this very story that by itself speaks of its significance for our edification and perfecting in faith. Judges 16, 4 and lower. After it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sarek, whose name was Delilah. <clears throat> and so when he killed the lion, that relying upon the old person, the power of the law stopped threatening him. And in our case, we came out from under the law, and the law became our friend. And then we took this law, the sword, and killed this old person by the law I died for the law so can, I can live for the one who died and resurrected and so in the valley of Sarek whose name was Delilah and the lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him and every one of us will give you 1100 pieces of silver so Delilah said to Samson please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you she, she's not hiding uh, from him what her intention is. She's asking where his strength is so that you may be bound and afflicted. She's telling him directly the intention. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the Lord of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. There was always one lying in wait in the room, in Delilah's room, when Samson was there. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, If they bind me surely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines also are upon you, Samson, and men are lying in wait staying in the room. 
it's always talking about someone that's laying in wait in the room. But he broke them off his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, she, she's saying to him directly that to arrest you, to, to so, you, so they can afflict you. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom, so she rove it tightly with the bat, batten of the loom and said to him the Philistines are upon you Samson but he woke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom then she said to him how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me you have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies she wanted that the heart of Samson be with her, and it came to pass when she pestered with him daily with her words and pressed him, so his soul was vexed to death, that he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am a sh- shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lord of the Philistines came upon her and brought her the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. And they bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow upon grow again after it had been shaven. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice, and they said, Our god has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were married that they said, Call for Samson, that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women, and the lord of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me. I pray, strengthen me, I pray just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on the right and on the left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were there. So the dead that he killed at that time, his death and at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of his father Manoah. He had judged Israel twenty years. They buried him there where the Holy Spirit worked. 
where the Holy Spirit led him. Judges 16, 4 through 31. We need to clarify that all reading this event, we are amazed at the strategy strategy of the Philistines that they used when it comes to Samson so that they not kill him but to bind and subdue him. Actually, each of the five Philistine leaders was ready to give Delilah 1,100 pieces of silver. This is almost two talents or more accurately, this is 66 kilograms of silver, a very high price at the time. It is paradox, but instead of just killing the sleeping Samson about whom they spoke, as you would an enemy and the destroyer of their land that killed many of their people, they just wanted to know where his great power lied and how to bind him so they can subdue him. Considering this, the relationship of Samson and Delilah was continuously being watched by one of the Philistines who would hide in the room of Delilah, hidden from Samson's view. You get the impression that the grantor of the life and well-being of the five rulers of Philistine of the Philistines was not the death of Samson but the life of Samson but only when he is deprived of power and is bound and as we will see further this was actually and truly the way it was they needed the living Samson because only the living Samson was the guarantor of their lives but if they would have killed him then the guarantor of of their life would be gone at least the five rulers of, of the Philistines that live within our body, which are our five senses being supported by governing sin in the form of our old person, were more intelligent and cautious than the fallen cherubim, that in his resistance with the Son of God, as the Son of Man, sawed off the branch that he himself sat on, instead of keeping it. Killing the Son of God, he killed himself. But these were more intelligent. They didn't want to kill him. They just wanted to humble him, subdue him, and bind him. Then he is the guarantor of their life. But in this case, the the devil did not have the ability to see what would happen. Or he he didn't have that intelligence. As the well-being of the fallen cherubim was fully dependent on that, uh, the well-being of the branch upon which he sat, the next thing that amazes in this story is the open willingness of Delilah that she didn't hide from Samson so she can bind him and give him, deliver him into the hands of the Philistines. Considering that the fact that considering the fact that the situation was inspired by the Holy Spirit and was complete, completely under the control of the Holy Spirit, Samson's behavior that was being led by the Holy Spirit and was dictated by the Holy Spirit, the strategy of the Holy Spirit became very interesting in the mouth of Samson that he first used to lead Delilah into error or delusion and afterward revealed to her where his great power was and what needs to be done so that they can arrest him. It's a paradox. I thought I'd finish on this. I thought thought this would uh, be enough time for us for the sermon, but I think that we still have more time, so I will continue to understand this mystery or as to why Delilah wanted himself to be bound. Uh, He loved Delilah. Delilah was his soul. And all of these three women, they are in this one woman. There was the intelligent aspect, the the reasonable aspect, 
and also the emotions. But now <clears throat> he has made a covenant with God, and upon this covenant, he needed to establish this covenant. And to establish this covenant, he needed to submerge this soul into death. But he submerges this soul into death in himself. It's not uh, Delilah that ends up dying, but he does. He takes death and dies for her sake. And so our spirit needs to die for the sake of our soul to confirm her salvation. We can see this when the Lord says, here's the one that I will look upon of a porn contrite spirit and who trembles at my word, a contrite spirit, a, sp- a spirit that's also dead in, a ca- in this case. I live in the heights of the heavens to make the spirit alive, one that is broken. And so our spirit needs to be submerged into the death of the Lord Jesus so that in by this death you can then clothe the soul because when if she doesn't uh, or the spirit doesn't submerge into the death of the Lord Jesus there's nothing then for the soul to be submerged into and when it's submerged into death it becomes weak and without power and we at this time are not able we don't feel able to defend ourselves while our spirit is broken but when our spirit is not yet broken we can still defend ourselves in prayer and illness but when our spirit is broken we lose that and this happens at the door of hope that's why I said pay attention why it's going to be difficult at the door of hope because all of the misfortunes will fall upon us and we will not have the ability to be free of them because in the death of the Lord we've submerged into it but we can only receive deliverance and resurrection and so when God will see the fruit of this humility the fruit because in brokenness the fruit of humility will be shown then our spirit will be able to clothe our soul our soul will then be fully clothed and we'll experience something very unimaginable because our spirit that will rise in us will be the stronghold of life in our body and our spirit will clothe our soul after it rises from death. Many of us, it's possible our spirit is not yet submerged into death and if it is, this is a good, uh, this is the best place to be. My spirit is submerged into the death of the Lord Jesus. And I told you that in one of the dreams, when I was asking, Lord, show me in what state is the bride in today. And the Lord showed me I was in a burial and I was laying upon a slab. I I knew I was dead. I clearly can see. And in this death... I wasn't feeling anything uncomfortable. I was feeling actually comfortable and was surprised. It's interesting about death that it's something very scary, something unusual. But I was laying and in 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 a burial and and I saw behind me there was a wellspring of water. And 
and it was connecting with uh, what's in the earth where hell is. And the ancient serpent was watching me. But he was afraid to watch me when uh, I looked at him. He would turn his eyes away when I looked at him. He didn't want our eyes to meet. And I knew. I didn't have fear, and I was waiting for the resurrection. I knew that when I rise from the dead, the stone will be removed and I'll come out. I saw at this time the throne, and upon the throne there's a person with a criminal face, very, very unpleasant, very, very uh, improper, and he stretched out his hand and and said, I can help you come out of this uh, burial. And when he came near to me, I felt coldness, I felt death. Before then, I didn't feel death, but here I started feeling death and asked him, who are you? And he said, I'm your old person. And I told him, be away from me. And he flew directly into the ancient serpent. And I was waiting and I had a sense that right now uh, the door will open and I'll come out. God showed me uh, where the bride is because she will be in this kind of state at the door of hope. And in the religious world, no one's going to notice this. Pay attention. Before, people paid a lot of attention to us. Everything was fasting, prayer to destroy us. And now everyone's quiet, and they have the idea that we died and we're no longer uh, living. Maybe someone's still saying something, but we died for them. We absolutely don't depend on what they say, how they say it, or whatever may be. We live, we preach, we but they don't notice anything. And this specific state, we're experiencing that right now. And so, there are also other churches similar, but we don't know about them. I don't know one church that's like ours, but I know that they are, and they are here in America and everywhere. God is keeping us in mystery from one another for now. Satan asked that you be sowed like wheat. But he said, I ask that your faith not be um, not, not be shaken. And so now that we're sown in the ground and we're covered with dirt, now every grain, every, every uh, grain of wheat is... Every seedling is separate from one the other, and each one is experiencing death and and dying and being completely alone. So many people, and you feel so separated and alone. And if you feel this loneliness, don't blame anyone. Be glad, because your deliverance is coming near. As soon as the seed dies, from this seed, fruit will come the fruit of resurrection specifically here we will come out of this uh, burial and this is when the new person will clothe us God will clothe us into our confessions but it will be the new person this new person that will be in the likeness of Christ and will identify with Christ and won't be any different from Christ 
and beauty of this body, the greatness, the only difference is that when, while our bodies clothed into immortality, it still won't be glorified. They'll be clothed into immortality, but won't be glorified. For the reason that glorification is to happen when we will be raptured to meet the Lord in the air. And so our bodies will be as the body of Christ when he came out from the from his grave. When he came out, no one saw any... Uh, when he went out to... Uh, uh, no one saw greatness, but by his will, either people could see him or not see him. He could be in closed doors or out of them. And his body was able to go through any kind of barrier or wall. This wasn't the spirit, this was the body. He told the disciples, touch me, touch my hands. Imagine the loss of the body. It's not just... Uh, it's not just the laws of the world that no longer apply to him anymore or gravity that apply anymore it won't apply to him anymore but also barriers that and the body will be able to eat this physical food this is the secondary as we say uh, word of God uh, the, word, the, the physical food and also the word of God uh, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so we will be able to be nourished there and uh, the word of, with the word of God or the physical food, it will be universal. And the body, it will cr- fulfill a great mission within the span of three years. It might be more than three, three years because rapture will happen right in the middle of the week. Um, but if we will be held for a little bit longer, it could be even four years before that happens. But by this time, there will be a, a great evangelism that will take place, a true evangelism that was not known to the first church. And if in the first church, the Apostle Paul was given the ability, he uh, goes to a town or a city in another place, two people repent. Today, people come out to the stadium and hundreds come, and they count. Uh, of course, then out of those hundreds, even one percent, if they come to the churches, that's good. They're coming because they're of feel of what they're feeling in the moment. But here, something will be great. We're going to need to save the un, uh, unwise virgin first. These are those that were virgins, were free from sin had the lamp, his lamp was, their lamp was burning, but they didn't have enough oil in their lamps. And now we pass on to them the wings of the great eagle, the urim and the thummim. We explain to them in what way, how we came into the state we're in, and they will need to pay the appropriate price that we paid. And so within the span of this time, they will obtain this power. They won't be raptured because we will be raptured, but they will use this power to then uh, share the uh, millennial uh, government with with the, with the Lord when He returns. And so they will experience 
And so the regime of the Antichrist will be experienced by the men of flesh in the churches that are filling the churches. The wise are not the men of flesh because they had a lamp, uh, wise or unwise, but the flesh... Uh, the men of flesh, <clears throat> their conscience is not cleansed from dead works, and they resist the spiritual things. <clears throat> the unwise did not resist spiritual things. They just haven't grown into full measure of growth in Christ yet. They grew, but they didn't fully grow up. And so what do we do when they come and ask for our, our younger sister? It says She needs to be uh, fully grown first. As you know, there are tomatoes that are green and tomatoes that are red. You take the red ones, but you don't rip off the green ones. You you wait for them to mature, and then you pick them. And so men of flesh are not that fruit. They have no fruit. They go against this. And so, and so they have the ability to sanctify themselves to go into the wilderness. Why did they fall under this terrible position? Because they did not go to sanctify themselves as the first category, the wise, and the second category, which is the unwise. The sanctification is a total sanctification when we die and we deny many things. We become students. Understand that a person can't be a student just a little bit or kind of or somewhat or 90% or 99% a student and 1% not a student. God doesn't consider such a person than a student. A person needs to be a student 100%. And if a person has in himself 1% that I will make decisions on my own as I understand them according to the, when looking at scripture then he's not a student he hasn't prayed, paid the price to be a student although he may be in the church he may be hearing the same word but he is not a student so we need to perfectly understand to become a student prepare yourself to fully obey fully obey and with joy gladness strictly obey what you hear from this place. I'm not saying it, things here that are simple. They're spiritual. Whether it be vaccinations, this is a spiritual thing, a greatly spiritual thing, because God wants to protect us. This is the secondary word of God. These means are taken from God's word. God created the earth and everything that's in it, and he gave man wisdom. There are other forms of medicine that exist as well. And for me, I'm, I'm very surprised the dreaminess of such people. How is it that they take other medication, but they refuse to take this? Uh, in other medication, they don't see danger that they suddenly see in this vaccine. It is in any shot, in any liquid, in any water, in anything. Logically, this talks about a dreaminess. Why? because they're not students, because a carnal person does not see, does not understand what is of the Spirit. And if it's not enough, they consider it foolishness. They complain, they think it's foolishness and resist it. And so a carnal person will need to do something. And the scriptures say they have the ability to 
uh, be safe, but if they follow after those who went into the wilderness, today these people, when they die, none of them will rise at the time of rapture. As I said, these are all people that will rise after the millennial uh, government, a uh, rule of Christ. And that's when their destiny will be determined for them. To the right will go those that have been saved as the in, as a blink of an eye. Uh, as you could say, like, in the blink of an eye, they were out of, uh, because of God's mercy, they were saved for specific reasons. And to be saved in this way, you need to have the right foundation. But if you don't have the right foundation, you don't have the right foundation, then you won't be able to be saved. And so the scriptures say the parable of Christ, a person built his house upon the sand. The house was destroyed. And the house of that, the destruction of the house was great. And so many people that we uh, sent to heaven, buried, sent to heaven, talked about how, what great Christian people they were, uh, they will end up in hell because their foundation was not there and it was destroyed and if it wasn't enough they didn't even repent in the deeds that they did those who repent these will be saved as mer- in a form of mercy God will save them these are those that are saved according to mercy but if a person has nothing to repent in if, he is a, if a person dies this is a person that is ready for rapture I met one and the other I was rarely met with those or rarely met those that didn't have anything to repent for but those who didn't repent for anything and was and were glad these are the people that will be raptured when the time comes I want every one of us to hear this word to become the guarantor of rapture to become so that you have this guarantee become a student and a student is one that listens to one teacher, one teacher, not many generals of God, but one apostle. Stop calling them generals. They're not generals. They're not generals. They call a person that is placed over you as an apostle. What is an apostle? Is one who's sent. One is sent by God. Why is it a be- why was this beautiful title removed from the church? Instead of the word apostle, they gave the word episcopal. An episcopal is a deacon. A deacon and episcopal is the same role, just different functions they fulfill. <coughs> Episcopals and deacons. <coughs> and they are typically under the pastor. But here the episcopal is above a pastor and and <clears throat> and so forth. And so when they hear we have an apostle, then they don't accept that. They complain. They say this is heretic. What does he call himself? An apostle. I'm sent by God. And I know this confidently. And I say this in humility. I don't have any pride or arrogance in this. I know that a great price is there. There's a great price paid for this. I continue to uh, pay it. I know they step upon me, but I I don't care 
because this calling needs a lot of humility. I am a student of Christ. And every morning he opens my ears so that I hear as one that's learned. When you become students, your ear will be opened. And when God will speak to me and I pass on to you, then you will in the same, very sta- same st- status as me or le- uh, same uh, position. And when you receive the reward, you'll receive what I receive, not greater or, or less <clears throat> because you became students. This is God's order. God decided that there be one person. He will reveal to one in the church and the rest will hear it. But when there are people in the church that come and say, well, I had a dream, I had a vision, and I tell them what you heard or saw doesn't belong to you because they see and and those things actually come to pass. They said, I saw body and he was trying to uh, the the previous uh, second pastor uh, Paul Bade and he was trying to uh, light uh, a fire around the church and he had this kinds of visions and now this person doesn't even come to the church because he thinks he's going to get COVID he's afraid of the virus I, I tell this person God gives only the pastor such visions and so if God gave you this, what can you do to the church? Who will believe you and who will follow you? No one will follow you because when people come with these kinds of visions, these are not students. If a person, God gives a person a vision, he gives a person a, a vision for his own edification. But when a person begins to see himself a prophet or teacher, it's dangerous. A, stu- a, a teacher is uh, put under much greater judgment and testing than than others because they they are being asked. Uh, it will be asked of them what they what they do. I work hard, uh, very hard, to be as you as students, and I do everything and fulfill what the same things you do, and so let. The Lord bless you with his mercy so that you be clothed into the mantle of a student. Being clothed into the mantle of a student, you are being clothed into your new person. If the new person does not possess the virtue of a student, then this new person has not yet grown. This is a person that's carnal still. A spiritual, he still doesn't have any power and can't do anything. He can't protect himself or be clothed, or clothe the body. But be wise, let us bend our knees and pray. And may the Lord bless us for this word that we have. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you that together with your nation, I can eat this sacred manna and I can clothe my soul into immortality. I can submerge my spirit into the into the death of the Lord Jesus. I can, with my spirit, die for the law by the law so that you can enliven me so that I can 
in this resurrection can clothe my body and my soul. I thank you that you are my God and that your eyes are always upon our earth, upon our bodies. You are always watching and are vigilant that our bodies be prepared for your visitation so that these these bodies would be your house where you can live forever so that we can treat our bodies as your house as something that belongs to you that we treat our soul the rod of our mouth as your rod so that we can restrain our mouth with your gentleness and learn from you as you have restrained your mouth by the words of your Heavenly Father. As the Heavenly Father has also restrained His mouth with His own words, and He is vigilant over those words, allow us also to discipline our tongue and be vigilant over God's Word so that it be clearly written upon our heart so that when the time of your promises to be fulfilled to come to pass so that you can see this what is clearly written upon our heart you said even if this promise tarries that we continue to wait for it that it shall come and it shall come to pass we believe in this we proclaim this with great joy our hope grows our trust in you grows we worship before you for the great word that you give for this wedding banquet our great God Son and Holy Spirit Amen our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.